powered through the Alaska Airline Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. Pac-12 Network's Yogi Roth joining us now on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. Plenty to talk about, but we're obviously going to start with the Seahawks reportedly hiring former Alabama OC Ryan Grubb. Yogi, we had heard rumblings and rumors that Ryan Grubb could be a target for Mike McDonald. But I got to be honest, when Ryan Grubb was introduced to Alabama's uh, little signing day that they had, I, I kind of took him off the list in my mind. Were you surprised that he uh, went to Seattle after that? Uh, yeah, I think a little bit, but knowing, you know, the way this world works now in coaching, um, I guess not as much as I probably would have been five years ago. Um, I knew from talking to people in Seattle that, you know, he was truly in the mix versus sometimes I think you see names and you'll wonder who really is involved and who's not. Um, I think that once I saw Chip Kelly going to Ohio state, it was like, okay, here we go. Ryan Grubb is definitely going to be the guy heading to Seattle and, uh, you know, it shook out. At least it looks like it's going to shake out that way. And I'm excited for him. Uh, I've always felt he called it like an NFL coordinator. Um, you, you meet guys in the NFL that better play callers. His demeanor is, is very similar to that. And I think that, you know, the way that the head coaching carousel worked out in college this year, where I thought he would have gotten some more looks at some bigger jobs, um, he didn't. And I think that the way the NFL is, if he goes and has – you know, one or two killer seasons, he's going to be like a lot of these coordinators that that aren't necessarily huge names in the, you know, in the college football world, but all of a sudden can get a head job in the NFL. And I think that could be a track for him that I wouldn't be surprised the next couple of years if he was a lot, on a lot of those short lists to be head coach in the league. Hey, Yogi, we've seen over the, the past few years that college football resembles the NFL. NFL is resembling college football more and more, um, especially over the past, what, five to ten years. When you look at Grubb, um, do you think he'd ha- he will have to make any adjustments to how he calls a game or how he coaches, or do you feel like the transition is going to be easy? No, I don't think it's going to be easy. I don't think anything in this. I, I, I think even in college, and you know it, man, like it looks easy. Like the UW offense looks smooth and simple, but it is complex. Uh, and, and I'm sure that he'll have you know, his, his adjustments, but, but I love that in the NFL, and I'm sure he will too when he gets there, it's all football all the time. You know, I used to go up and visit Coach Carroll and their staff in that facility, and, you know, they're not having recruiting meetings. You know, <laughs> they're not having to have NIL meetings and donor meetings. Like, it is all football all day. So, yeah, I think there'll be some subtle adjustments. Uh, every coach that either goes to the NFL or comes from the NFL, in my experience, references the hash marks. And it just being, you know, it takes a minute just to get used to. Usually it's a lot more challenging going to college versus going to the NFL. Uh, for, for obvious reasons, just based on the width but when, you, when you get to college. So, uh, yeah, I think we – I would never say it's going to be seamless and he's not going to skip a beat. I mean, he's going to a place that is the pinnacle of the profession. Uh, so, you know, no, I won't – it won't be as easy as maybe it, it looked at UW at times. But, you know, knowing him and the way that he works and his personality and the staff that they're going to have and what they'll add to, um, I, I think that – he's going to be very successful. And then you look at the players and the youth that they have and what they look like on offense. Um, I'm, I'm really excited for him. I think it's an awesome opportunity. And you look at his track and it's, I think it's really inspiring to coaches out there. You know, the, the young coaches now that are just trying to, you know, get a bite and be a GA somewhere. Look at the path that he had, you know, from literally digging, like literally digging ditches to now being a coordinator in the NFL. 
Hey, Yogi, speaking of that transition, outside of what he does as a play caller is what he does as a coach and how he interacts. We obviously know a famous example of a guy not quite making that transition to talking to college players versus pro players was Urban Meyer, who really flamed out with Jacksonville because he just couldn't communicate with people uh, always in the most respectful way. Um, And it's different, right? Like you coach differently at the college level versus when you're coaching, you know, 25 and 30 and 35 year olds who are getting paid big money. Does Ryan Grubb, from what you know of him, seem like someone who can adjust to that kind of environment? Uh, He's going to be just fine. You know, I, I can remember uh, a long time ago when I was in college, I, I'd go over and hang out with Kevin Colbert, who was the, you know, just the czar of the Steelers. And I can remember asking him at like 22, hey, what's the difference between you know, college and the NFL? And he goes, they're just a little bit older and they have more money. Like they have the same stuff that they go through. So like to your point of Urban Meyer, like you just have to communicate. And I think that every NFL player I've talked to, whether it's Jared Goff referencing his office coordinator or coaches that reference or players that reference that, you know, coach Carroll or whoever it was, like they want communicators. And when you talk to anybody who's played for Ryan Grubb from Jay Kaner to Michael Penning Jr. Um, to even, I can remember when Sam Heward was there and he's, you know, first meeting we had with him. It's like, God, like we, we didn't even really talk football. We talked about life. We talked about getting to know one another. Like that, that thing still exists in the NFL. I mean, that relationship element is, is massive. And I think if you come in, to that quote unquote business and just treat it as such, you're going to struggle. Now you also, and I remember this learning this from Steve Sarkeesian when he was at the Raiders. So when he got there and Rich Gannon was in the room, you know, he's older than, than Sark at the time. And he goes, you have to have every answer. And if you don't, you know, they're not going to trust you. And knowing Ryan Grubb like I do, and he gave me and Kalen DeVore, they allowed me great access at UW when they were there they're phenomenal in that regard. I mean, they do not leave stones unturned. So he's going to be able to give that quarterback room and everyone in it answers and that offensive line and that offense answers. And when it doesn't work answers. And and that's the thing that I've learned in my time that I'm sure you guys have heard too, is that's what you have to do when you're in an NFL facility is the minute that you showcase that you don't know what you're doing, the player moves on because it's their livelihood at stake. And then you lose that trust. And usually that's when it starts to splinter and, and suitably fall apart. So he will be, he'll be great in that regard. He's an awesome communicator. He's an incredible family man. He can connect to everybody on a roster, regardless of background. I mean, he's, he's big time in, in that regard and, and has been since I got to know him at Fresno state. And then you watch him, of course, what he's done at UW. Um, he was working with a lot of guys that didn't have to go to a lot of class, right? Like you can call them pros, right? Michael Penix Jr., Romy Dunze. Uh, so you treat him as such, but you also have a human side to you. And, and Ryan Grubb definitely does. He's not robotic by any stretch of the imagination. He's got a great personality. And I think the players will really uh, grow to like him because he's going to show them. Like, this is how we're going to score points. This is how we're going to be explosive. And this is how we're going to have answers. Yogi, Stacy, and I have I've tried to go through every scenario, right? You lose your head coach of 14 years. There's a, a bunch of movement going on. And we're saying, okay, um, who's going to be the O.C.? Uh, what are they going to do at pick number 16? We've connected J.J. McCarthy with the Hawks because of Mike McDonald. Now we've connected Michael Penix because of Grubb. But but my question is, how do you think Geno Smith fits into a Grubb-style type of offense? And do you would you expect Grubb to push for maybe a Penix later in the draft if he's still there? That's a good question. I, I don't I don't know. Um, I mean, I know that Geno's proven that he can play at this level. 
and and be successful. And I know that Ryan Grubb's offense has proven to be successful with a bunch of different types of bodies, different types of arms. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, though, he's, he's always played with a, with a passer, you know, and I think we all know you need to have that, of course, in the NFL. So I, I don't know what will push. It's probably more like John Schneider, you know, of, of, a, of an answer there. Um, so I, I don't know. I think the, the quarterback room looks healthy. Like, it's not like they don't have anybody there. Uh, they got a guy who's been to a couple of Pro Bowls. So I, I'd, be, I'd be curious to see how it shakes out because it is a loaded class, uh, whether it's J.J. or, you know, Michael Penix Jr. I mean, you look at that position and it is awesome. And, you know, the Seahawks, are, as you reference, are, are ushering in a completely new era, you know, from 14 years with Coach Carroll to now where they sit with new leadership. So I, I'm excited to see what they do. Um, you know, not only John Schneider, as I have for 14 years, he's going to have a detailed plan He'll probably surprise the people with some of the moves that he makes, and they will they will add to that team to to make them ideally not just a playoff contender, but somebody that can really contend with the Niners and and the Rams and some of these teams in their own division that you know have had more success recently. Hey, uh, following the news, the report of Grubb coming to Seattle, uh, Brock Heward had some quick reaction uh, up on SeattleSports.com, and he mentioned. He did the good, the bad, the ugly. And the ugly for him was the news, the move coming like a day after that uh, 30-day transfer period had ended. And he said it's just not great optics. It's not good for college football. It's worrisome for him. Do you feel the same way? Oh, yeah. I mean, but I think we're way beyond that, you know, in terms of, you know, the game is completely shifted to to something that none of us really know in the offseason. I talked to a head coach right after the season. I said, all right, am I crazy? Because the season was so magical and beautiful. And, you know, you just had all the things you'd want. And then the minute it ended, it was portal, coaching moves, money, NIL. And it was like, whoa, dark cloud, dark cloud. Let me get out of here. Get back to the games. Uh, But that's what it is. And until there's some, not only a semblance of leadership, like I, I hear us all say we need a college football commissioner. If maybe only if they have power, though. You know, like only if they can actually hand down, you know, legitimate penalties um, and, you know, create legitimate, you know, rules that have to be followed. You know, look at like what's going on at Tennessee. I think it's you know, almost hilarious with some of these schools saying, well, the NCAA let us, you know, let everybody do whatever they want. Maybe, but you still broke rules. <laughs> you still can't induce people to come play. And until there's any penalties, I don't think anybody is going to, be scared of, of that institution. And I think there's just going to be loopholes everywhere uh, regarding like the 30 days. I get that. And that is sad, but it happens every day after signing period too. I mean, I can remember you know, when I was coaching at SC, we had a coach going to the NFL and it was just Jethro Franklin. I think he was one time with the Seahawks and the day after signing day, he went to Tampa Bay and started working for Monty Kiffin. And we were trying to get Gerald McCoy up until the morning of signing day. So that's always going to happen. Uh, it's just sad that we have all these new windows now that just seem to almost catch everybody by surprise. Like, look at UCLA. 30-day clock starts now. You know, what are their players going to do as they hired Deshaun Foster earlier this morning? Uh, hopefully stay. Because it's not like there's other schools that are letting go of their head coach now. And a 30-day window opens up for any other institution to go get some players. So they could be sitting at a roster that is, you know, 50 players when they get to spring ball, if they're not careful. And I think that was a big part of probably why they hired Deshaun. He's, he's talented. He's an alum. He knows the place. And I'd imagine 
the majority of that team is going to stick through spring and then assess in the next window where to go. Yeah, I love that Deshaun gets a shot over there, man. Um, but I look at the situation with DeBoer, and he did what guys do, right? You make it, you bring your boys with you, and uh, you provide opportunities for them. Well, his boy's gone, right? Grubb is with the Seattle Seahawks now. Do you see anybody or know of anyone on his staff that he brought with him that you can see being off as a coordinator? Or do you think – you know, because it's Alabama, you're he's going to look for, you know, some retired NFL offensive coordinator or, or somebody with just a, a bit more experience. No, I don't think so. I think that um, they're going to, I don't know, well, I know nothing's out there, but if I was going to guess, I mean, you look at Coach Shep and, and Nick Sheridan, these are two guys that know this offense inside now. Uh, I think Kalen DeBoer had always been planning for Ryan Grubb's ascension as a coach you know if i didn't think it was going to come at like for at alabama on the you know 30 days after they, he gets there uh you can't predict any of that but everybody knew that he was a hot commodity last year right? he turns on bama and a&m and i thought he would get a head job this year if not you know where he sits now which is the national football league so they've always been preparing for that and nick sheridan's been an offensive coordinator marcus shepherd is clearly gifted uh as a offensive a teacher at wide receiver and you know his game goes far beyond just that position so i i imagine they stay within and just hire within uh, i think especially when you look at kalen's background and the offense is his blueprint uh he and ryan have curated that thing over the course of decades together so they've taught that to the rest of that staff so i i don't anticipate a quote-unquote big name like Mike Martin coming out of retirement to go to Tuscaloosa. Like I, I would imagine, and I hope that they do hire from within and and keep that continuity within that offensive scheme because it's a it's an awesome one, man. And mm-hmm. It's hard down there, as, as we all know. It's really competitive, but I, I think that both of those uh, coaches are more than capable of being the offensive coordinator at Alabama. Always good stuff from Pac-12 Network's Yogi Roth. Yogi, thanks so much for taking the time. Thanks, Yogi. Anytime, anytime. Let's get to headline rewrites. Headline rewrites. We must make headlines. The real story behind the headlines in today's news with Bob and Stacy. Headline number one: The Seahawks finish off their coaching staff over the weekend with the hires of Ryan Grubb as offensive coordinator. Adam Durday. Got it right. Adding def- and subtracting. As defensive coordinator, what's the real headline? You're telling me Bama didn't get someone they wanted? That's what really sticks out to me about this is Bama fans being upset just as UW fans were upset about Kalen DeBoer going to Bama. College football's weird now, man. It's weird. Bama, humble thyselves. <laughs> you sent a picture of a guy standing in front of, um, in the front row of the grub um, you know, I'm your officer coordinator, speech, yada, yada, yada. He's in his collar shirt oh, with a quarter polo. zip under, yep. you know yep. what I mean? Yep. It's what you imagine when you think of alumni, especially at Alabama, and the face that he was making was, uh, he looked a bit confused. I wonder what that guy looks like right now. Because red. for once in your life, Bama did not get exactly what they wanted. Now, I'm sure during that whole press conference, the alums are looking at Grubb like, for real, are you really going to be here? But Grubb had to do this. He had to stand in front of them and act as if he was the OC because he didn't know how this situation was going to end up. Good for Grubb. I think it's a good fit over here in Seattle. He already knows the area. I mean, he's comfortable. His family's already here. Now it's about um, getting together with this young group of a head coach and coordinators and see what you come up with. But there's a lot for Grubb to work with. I'm excited to see how Gino takes another step forward in his career. 
Headline rewrites. Headline number two before UCLA hired Deshaun Foster this morning as their new head coach. UW's Jetfish may or may not have spoken with Bruins officials over the weekend about the vacancy. What's the real headline? A tiger doesn't change its stripes, and neither does a fish, apparently. Now, I have to add some additional information. Curtis is going to sound off on his own theory because, obviously, we have an Arizona alum uh, as part of our show. And so uh, there are audience members, including Curtis, that are going to be like, I don't believe anything. But uh, Bruce Feldman, a college football reporter, said, saw the report that UCLA had interviewed Jed Fish this weekend. I reached out to Fish, who said the report could not be more false. He said, I had zero conversation with UCLA, nor would I. Meanwhile, Doug Hendrickson, who's Jed Fish's agent, said, Jason Shear, who had that report, is an incompetent and reckless reporter. <laughs> At Coach Jed Fish never wanted to or had any conversations regarding the UCLA job. End of story. Of course, Jed and his agent are going to deny. Why would they admit to speaking to a school weeks after accepting a job at another like that would be you know that would tank their careers you could say nothing if you did do right it. somewhere between the two stories is the truth like do you think ucla really didn't reach out to dead fish he has a history over there he was on that coaching staff for a while um i would have to believe there was some type of communication now the level or the length of that communication all right that can be debated no one really knows but um I wouldn't be surprised, man. And and if you're a jet fish, you take the phone call. You don't necessarily entertain the situation. But if someone calls you, and I'm sure it was somebody that he knows from UCLA, kind of initiated contact. Someone calls you, you answer the phone, see what they're talking about. If you don't like what they're talking about, you're like, oh, man, I'm actually good at you, Doug, guys. We're just going to cut this short and, you know, not even go there. I think if this was uh, even uh, five years ago, but certainly 10 years ago, people would be, uh, 99% of people would be, without a doubt in their mind, just believing like, oh, he said he didn't do it. He didn't do it. I think with the nature of how college football works now with coaches uh, going to different schools, including in the middle of contracts, there's this weird um, kind of like a natural defensiveness and distrust that some fans have. And unfortunately for Jed Fish, he's going to a program that just lost a head coach who was kind of climbing that ladder. And he's also been a ladder climber. Most people I know are anticipating that one day he's just going to go for that Florida job. Yeah. I mean, this isn't Jed Fish doesn't didn't pray at night and say, God, please give me the University of Washington job. I will stay there my whole career. No, everybody has their dream job. This isn't it, but this is a step closer. So like you mentioned, this is what coaches do. They always look for the next best opportunity. I, I'm waiting for uh, Curtis every time we talk about Jed Fish being at a play. Oh, and did he talk to their coaching staff? Too? Yeah, Jed Fish uh, <laughs> shaking hands with opposing coaches at, at midfield every game being like, hey, uh, when are you going to leave your job? <laughs> How long are you staying here? Yeah, you think you can put in a good word for me? <laughs> Headline rewrites. Headline number three, Julio Rodriguez. He tweeted last night, quote, I want to know what that feels like after the Chiefs Super Bowl win. What's the real headline? Hopefully the Mariners front office shares that same desire. Now, I do want to clarify this from earlier because there were some people going, of course the Mariners want to win. I agree. I think ownership wants to win. I think the front office wants to win. I think that they want badly to be a World Series team. The criticism of the decision makers with the Mariners has always been about what they're willing to do to become one, not about just wanting to be one. Yeah, I want to be. Um, I wanted to be a, a firefighter when I was a kid. Really? Yeah. Didn't want to do. Still can. It. So, yeah, it's not too late. Uh, not too late. It's not too late. I, I prefer not to do with fires though. Uh, <laughs> I, I, you want a lot of things, but are you willing to put in the work to do it? And are you willing to adjust? your approach if it hasn't been working that's the question with the Mariners now 
again, I've been one of the guys who I think they had an excellent offseason. For what DePoto had to work with and the, the money constraints, I get that. I think they had a good offseason. But is that enough to win a World Series championship? We, we will see. We're banking on guys staying healthy, the arms being on point. You're banking on a lot. I haven't seen a team that the Mariners put together and say, contenders off top. Everything is if this happens or if that happens. So I think that's what Julio is saying. Like, <clears throat> I want to be able to be preseason favorites to get into the World Series. Now, I've seen lots of people talk about the rotation and say it's the best rotation in baseball. That's a great start, but we got to see how these other pieces kind of work out. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that you missed the playoffs for 20 years uh, just by bad luck. Um, it's it's almost impressive to be able to do that. So I think that there was some <laughs> internal reflection uh, that had to happen at the highest levels of this organization. And I do think that the teams that they've been uh, fielding over the last couple of years have been some of the best that I've seen over the last two decades, right? I mean... Um, yes, it was great to have Felix when he was here, and it was great to have, you know, Seager was always fun. There were individual players that you really liked, like when you had both Nelson and Robinson. Like, that was great. But those teams never came together in the way that this team can. Um, but I think that there is still a very natural fear that many Mariners fans have that you'll never see the top of the mountain. And I think that until you get there, it always feels like this impossible task. Yeah, the fear is real. It's real because... Um you see what teams do to get there and it's rare that you see a team move the way the Mariners have moved and get there. Now what's happened before we've seen it, but most consistently we've seen teams go out there and spend a bunch of money and win. Mariners don't want to do that. They have a tight budget and there's talent on this roster for them to make a run. It's just uh, you know, for all you guys who haven't been fans of a, of a, a dominant team, which you have been if you were a, a 12, right? In 2013, 14, 15, you expected that team to be in the playoffs and make a run. That's all the fans want for the Manners is to expect wins and playoff runs. And uh, I think one appearance in, what, 20, 25 years? Um, that's not too much to ask at this point. No, it's not. And, and that's kind of where I wish I was as a, as a Mariners fan um, is that I don't expect this team to be in a World Series. I would love to see it happen. And there's less parity in baseball naturally, right, by virtue of uh, how salaries uh, and a lack of salary cap work. Um, so there is a feeling that I'm sure fans of football teams can have going like, well, if you just do this, this, and this, you can get there. Or like, this team's eventually going to fall off. Um, it, the Dodgers, the Braves, like whoever else, the, the Astros, it feels like they just keep going and going and going once they find out a recipe that works for them. Yeah, it's almost like once you get into that pocket, right, you buy yourself four or five years of just consistency and saying, OK, we should be contenders. But the really good teams or I guess the teams that spend a lot um, are contenders every year on paper. Mm -hmm. And that's all I want is one year, one year. Look at the roster and be like on paper contenders for show. Well, and for anyone, the 360 saying, hey, Julio, it's really simple. Learn to clutch hit the breaking ball pitches. Agree. Julio was not uh, as great uh, last year as he was in his rookie season. But I don't know any team that's been to and won a World Series because, you know, one uh, that their best hitter carried them and everyone else was just. I, you can find examples of teams that weren't the best offenses ever making it to a World Series. But while they need MVP caliber play from Julio, you cannot turn to that as a recipe to build a World Series contender that gets there, you know, as often as possible. Fill it. I just think it's too fill it. It's too risky, too many holes in that mm -hmm. plan. And I'm not I'm not here for looking at Julio as like, but you have to save us. Julio, do it all. Yeah. It's a team sport.
Um, well, about those Andy Reid retirement rumors, we finally had some answers. That's coming up next. Bumpin' Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Taking a look around the NFL, we have an answer on Andy Reid's retirement rumors. They can be put to bed. The three-time Super Bowl champion coach confirmed last night he will be returning for the 2024 season. Excuse me. After a win, is any of that in doubt, though? I know he's an older head coach and that you reach an age as a head coach and people just naturally start asking every single year if this is it for you. Uh, he just won a Super Bowl for a second consecutive year, and he has a chance to do what no one's done before, win a third. Now, th- this reminds me of uh, now. I'm no Andy Reid. Let's get it. I get it twisted. <laughs> but uh, when I was a uh, head coach at Monroe High School, I was there for what, six years. In the last two years, I thought about stepping down. I just wanted to do something different. But I had a quarterback and a receiver. That I go, we can win a few more games. If I just hang around for a couple yeah. more years, that's exactly what he's looking at. He goes, I got Patrick Mahomes. One of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. I'm not stepping down until I feel like I can't do it anymore or he can't do it anymore. Andy Reid with the fourth winningest coach in NFL history. He's going into the Hall of Fame. He's playing with house money at this point, and he's got the best QB in the game. Ain't no way he's stepping away right now. Well, and we, uh, Curtis, what was the name of the reporter that we spoke with? That, um, Teicher? Adam Teicher. Adam Teicher, uh, who said, you know, I see these rumors all the time. He covers the Chiefs for ESPN, and he said, you know, we always get these retirement rumors. And he told us, look, Andy Reid is not a guy that goes fishing and hunting and has a lot of hobbies and, you know, is looking to get into whatever. This is all he does. Like, yeah, you start wondering, you know, people start looking at these other facets of their lives and say, oh, I've always wanted to get into real estate and I really want this next venture. And that's great when people do that mm-hmm. because football doesn't have to be your life. But for someone who does see football as their life and all they do and all they're interested in, I think it's really hard for Andy Reid to walk away. I heard Andy Reid say, and this isn't verbatim, but he goes, some people read books. I look at plays. Like, that's where he's at. My guy is. This is what he does. He's a ball coach. what he does. It was confirmed, by the way, that 49ers linebacker Dre Greenlaw did, in fact, tear his Achilles stepping onto the field early in yesterday's Super Bowl. This is as the defense was going out for another series. I think we all kind of knew. Non-contact injury. We hear it's an Achilles. We know what it is. Unfortunately, that news confirmed, though. Man, and I always think of the the what-ifs, right? Because you look at the, the shot of him and Greenlaw, obviously him and Warner and someone else on the sideline. At first, he hesitates to go on the field, and then it's that second push. I go, yep. what if he didn't have to hesitate? What if he just ran Tiny out there, second. man? Like That lets you know right there just how fragile your health and life yeah. is in general. One hesitation, and he tears his Achilles, man. And uh, and you felt the effects of him not being in there. Uh, the middle of the field was a bit different. Uh, 48, I forgot the, the young man who filled in for him, did a decent job. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing like having Greenlaw out there. And well, the Chiefs kind of picked on him like once or twice, but overall looked like they had most of the same approach. Obviously, the passing game was effective later on, mm-hmm. right? Both offenses were effective, uh, more effective in the second half. Um, but uh, I don't know. I'm not a huge X's and O's person or brilliant football mind. I don't know how much that actually affected the game, though, which is surprising because he's so good. Yeah. Um, I was trying to get a feel for it. It's hard to tell. But I'm like, nah, I don't. I think everything still went according yeah, to plan. Yeah, the attack felt the same. Yeah. The Jets will officially don their throwback jerseys full-time starting in 2024. I wouldn't be mad at the Seahawks for doing this, but no, they won't. Uh, they'll also introduce green and black versions of them this offseason. I am here for this. Um, I 
don't like hate the Jets. I don't feel anything for the Jets, but uh, they're in a dark place right now. And if introducing <laughs> throwbacks full time is going to make fans happy, then you do that. Hey, you do what you got to do. You do what you got to do. Because you had us all hyped up last year about Aaron Rodgers and this team, and he runs up with the flag. And then 10 minutes later, he's out for the rest of the season. You look at the defensive talent, and even on offense, there's some talent out there, mm-hmm. but it all needs to come together. It's all about marketing your team, and I think this is a good move. I think people were shifting away from the futuristic-type-looking uniforms. Where let's just keep it solid and basic. And they have one of the best uniforms in the game. It really is a trend that's gone back around. Like when you look at uh, 2005 Seahawks, which is just comes to mind because we can all imagine that team. Obviously, the years are on either side that they had those like millennium blue. They are the most disgusting. I hate those uniforms. The whites were okay. The whites were fine, okay. but that like I, that I, like I those, Chevrolet I blue. I have it hanging up in my office right now. Of course, and it's wonderful, and that's amazing, <laughs> yeah, and that's close. Ugly. And you got closer than any of those us will ugly. ever get to wearing one of those. But ugly like, sick. oh my god! But there was that was a time, right? Like mm-hmm. we can remember mm-hmm. being, you know, uh, teenagers, maybe early twenties or whatever during that time, and there was this like we all loved the idea of futuristic mm-hmm. things. So. If you think of the style during that time, if you're old enough to remember, like it it was like bendy and curvy and weird and yeah. spacey. And, and then you get to be, you know, 2024, 2023, and people love classic and retro and vintage and simple. That was some other stuff. And, and, uh, and I don't appreciate it because I had to wear that uniform. <laughs> But I appreciate being, having the opportunity to wear that uniform. Exactly. You know what I mean? It's it, it's 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 not bad to have a uniform, period. But unfortunately, maybe not the best color. Yeah, not the color. best. Not the best. ESPN's Jeremy Fowler writes that the Browns are planning to extend head coach and coach of the year winner Kevin Stefanski as well as GM Andrew Barry. They're signed through 2024 this upcoming season, but they have no guarantees beyond that. Right choice by the Browns. Yeah, you better, man. Browns have a good season. Yeah, they hire the homie Joe Flacco off the streets. He uh, takes them to the playoffs. Imagine what this team looks like. Don't get after me because I mentioned his name. With Deshaun Watson on this team, healthy. Uh, what Nick Chubb looks like on this team, healthy in that defense. The Browns are in a tough division. You still got to get through Baltimore, mm-hmm. Cincinnati. When they're healthy, they're good to go. And who knows what Pittsburgh is going to look like? They're always solid every year, and they're going to draft a quarterback this year. But right now, the Browns are hot. So what do you do? You extend the guys um, who played a, a big role in getting these guys to where they are and hope that Deshaun Watson comes back healthy and you finally get to see what this team can really be. What did you make of people saying Kevin Stefanski has more uh, coach of the year wins than his team has playoff wins as kind of like a dig at whether or not he's actually been able to do as much as he can with this roster? Any coach who gets into the playoffs and you have three to four different starters at quarterback. That's what I'm saying. You're doing something right. So yeah. that's just hate. If, you, if you're getting hated on, you're doing something good. So well, keep up the good work. Well, and what have we been talking about all day and what will we, what will we, excuse me, continue to talk about when we talk about the Super Bowl? Patrick Mahomes. Like, mm-hmm. yes, you'll see teams win a Super Bowl that don't have uh, the best guy in the league under center. Um, but overwhelmingly, that gives you the best odds, the best chances. The Browns have really been searching for that guy. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe they found it with Deshaun Watson, but he hasn't shown that he is yet. Um, they have so many great pieces. Nick Chubb, knock on wood, comes back healthy and just fine. Joku. One of the best running backs. Exactly. Um, Garrett, a million and five guys on defense. Ward. Mark Cooper. Exactly. And they haven't been able to find that most kind of like elusive 
thing, which is your franchise quarterback. <laughs> it's hard to find. The Bears it are is. still looking for theirs. They're ready to move on from Justin Fields, who they took in the first round, and take another first-round shot at Caleb Williams. And what if he doesn't work out? You're Bears never guaranteed. looking for a quarterback like I'll be looking for Sasquatch out here in the Northwest, you know? man. And it's like, what if you never find it? Next story here, last story. Eagles pass rusher Hassan Reddick has been granted permission to seek a trade. Yes, all is still not well in Philly. Reddick has four straight seasons of at least 11 sacks and was an all-pro selection in 2022. He has one year remaining on his deal. Uh, that contract has a $21.3 million cap hit. As you know with trades, uh, the new team doesn't always absorb all of that cap. Sometimes mm-hmm. another team will split it up. They'll do whatever. So uh, trading for Hassan Reddick, if you're the Seahawks, doesn't mean you're looking at a $21.3 million cap hit. However, I don't know that the Seahawks are trading for Hassan Reddick. No. Nah, man, as um, as attractive as Hassan Reddick is, when you look at his stats and what he does, he's going to be extremely expensive, man. At least we're assuming that he's going to be. He's 29 years old, so he's still got some good years left in him. The 13th overall pick in 2017 didn't work in Arizona, so he goes over to Philly and he balls out over there. Uh, if a guy like him is on the market, that means that relationships are all jacked up, mm-hmm. right? You still got another year left in your contract. In a perfect world, would I love Hassan Reddick on this team? Most definitely. But uh, you got to look at how to uh, distribute your money properly and make sure that you get guys at interior linebacker, at the safety spot. There are some things that you need to get done. Outside linebacker, I think you could use one, but you got a couple who are trending in the right direction. That's a lot of money. I wouldn't be mad if they went after mm-hmm. them, though. Can I go back to the uniform conversation for just 10 seconds? And Curtis, feel free to participate if you have info about this as well. Uh, has there been instances of a team making an alternate uniform, specifically a theme uniform, a, a regular uniform for an entire season? I can't think of one. Because the Jets, when I read that, I was like, whoa, I didn't know you could do that. The Rams, when they made it to the Super Bowl the first time under McVay, used their throwback uniform as their regular home set. Because they have that weird, like, navy and gold yeah. color years before that but then they went to the uh like the royal blue, blue. And, and yellow yeah yeah i'm wondering if we'll see more teams do that maybe the I seahawks so. will do it the hawks need to man those are so those clean. are so clean so clean you're listening to bump and stacy on seattle sports and the seattle sports app a question for you a question for all of us why did the 49ers lose the super bowl that's next bump and stacy Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios on Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. You guys don't support me in my dreams. That's not true. Why do you say that? Well, I say that because uh, if anyone wants to know what it's like uh, being someone who cares about real news, uh, you know, behind the scenes, this is what happened during the commercial. Oh my God, you guys. Breaking from people, Marcus Jordan and Larsa Pippen have broken up, and you guys said, "Wow, wow. Oh my gosh, oh, that's man. exactly." Good there's job, not, Marcus. There's, that's there's not real feeling in there. <laughs> I didn't. Uh, you guys weren't surprised. You guys weren't invested. Nah, you know what? City boys up. <laughs> City boys up one because uh, that was a horrible decision, man. It was bad. Too much drama. You can't get the families together. There's a lot you got to think of. Anyway, congratulations to the five people who get that. We're moving on for the people who don't. You're listening to Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Why did the 49ers lose the Super Bowl? You can text in your answer, 866-979-3776. Now, Bump, if I look at the wrongs, mm-hmm. the sins, heavy quotes, uh, that Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers committed, I got two turnovers. Yep. Didn't capitalize on Chiefs turnovers. Right. They also had two. 
missed PAT and then choosing not to receive the ball in overtime. Now there's execution stuff you can point to, but like this wasn't a bad game by the 49ers. It wasn't a bad game. They were up 10 points. Uh, but then like you mentioned, you get a fumble. Pacheco fumbles. You need to capitalize. You get an interception. Good field position. You need to capitalize. And then as far as the um, the overtime thing goes, I, I mean, it's – I understand why you would want to kick because um, you got you want to see what you want to do or what you have to do to win the ball game. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, the same way people are saying go for it on fourth down and they have the killer instinct, the same way you can say he can be like, forget that. I'm going to set the tone on right. offense. We're going to get the ball. We're going to go down there and score. Um, now, there's never one or two things, right? But when you look at just the general stats of this whole thing, third, three and 12 on third downs, which is huge, right? Now, you were one-on-one on fourth down, but third downs, you were three and 12. Early, you could not sustain any type nope. of drives, right? Early, you look at uh, the way they were featuring Christian McCaffrey, relied on them heavily throughout the game. Honestly, 22 carries, 80 yards, eight receptions, 80 yards. But uh, it felt like you couldn't get your tight end going. George Kittle, one of the best tight ends. Right now, my opinion, he is a better physically tight end than Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey, best tight end to ever live, in my opinion. When it's all said and done, it's, it's going to be a wrap. Someone's going to catch him eventually. But you look at his numbers, there's no denying who that guy was. Kansas City found a way to get Travis Kelsey involved. The uh, 49ers did not. Like I said, four targets, three targets, two receptions. Mm-hmm. Um, also, Brandon Ayuk only had three catches, three for 49. That was surprising to now, me. Now, when you think about the... The 49ers, you think about explosive plays as well. There's a bunch of those typically. McCaffrey had a long catch of 24. Ayuk had 20. Jennings had a 23. Then we had 12, 18, 19, and 18. The biggest play of the game didn't even result in points. We're looking at McCall Hardman, 52-yard reception. But then right after that, we got uh, Pacheco who fumbled the football. It all came down to the little things. Taking care of the football. Not giving Mahomes a short field. That's a sin in football. If you give Pat Mahomes a football, 40 yards and in, in the red just, zone. just chalk it up. Now you're red zone, 40 yards. Yep. Now you yep. give it to him on the 16-yard line, you know it's a touchdown. There were things that you cannot do. Uh, you have to kick him when he is down. All right, You are down 10 points. All right, they're down 10 points. You get the football. Man, you got to get at least three out of yeah. that situation. But you didn't do that. You didn't apply enough pressure. Because even if you do apply pressure, Pat Mahomes has found a way to win these games. So now you had opportunity to apply massive pressure. You didn't do that. You missed your PAT. Mm-hmm. Pat Mahomes has the ball with seven minutes left in the game in overtime. Everybody and their mama knew that game was over. You know when you watch um, – thrillers or horror movies or action movies and uh, I don't think Patrick Mahomes is a villain but uh, you know that you think the villain has died but they don't go over there and like make sure he's right. dead and they just kind of turn around you always go look out he's gonna be alive he's mm-hmm. not dead he's not that's how everyone should feel about Patrick Mahomes and in all three of these Super Bowls including one as OC obviously so he had less control over what the team did Kyle Shanahan's team was ahead like it looked like the villain was defeated it looked like they made it out and they didn't just get the job done they didn't add that final punch that final whatever it was to get two scores ahead, to get even further ahead, to really put Mahomes out of the game. They left him just enough life to come back and in all three instances defeat him. From the Mac and Jack's text line, um, their reasons why the 49ers lost. Um, This person, uh, 253, says, we can't throw out the Lions game. They look bad. If it wasn't for Campbell, they would have been at home like us watching. Um, they, they kept losing the game because they were giving Mahomes chances. Yes. Uh, what about this one from the 206? Shani abandons the run uh, in the third, setting up long third downs again. 
He has the coaching version of the yips. <laughs> oh, man, that's messed up. <laughs> but you're probably not wrong at this point. Now, I'm not going to say that um, he made horrible decisions during that game. There are decisions that were made that um, people can argue against. Mm-hmm. Like People are saying, oh, they should have went for it on fourth down. I would have went for it. They don't have the killer in them. This is the Super Bowl, and you just want to make sure you make the other team earn that championship by going for it on, what, fourth and five or four or something like that, and you don't get it? Then now you're, we just talked about how deadly Pat Mahomes is. Now all he has to do is go 35, 40 yards and kick a field goal, goal this game over? Not ideal. Now, him having a football at the end of the game is not ideal anyway, but you want to make him have to put up a seven, seven points. So, man, I feel bad for Kyle Shanahan because he's a good coach. And yeah. this was the team to get it done against this Kansas City Chiefs team. Something tells me, Stacey, this offseason, the Chiefs are going to get the pieces that they need because Mahomes is now, he probably was here already, but he is now to the point where people want to go play with him. I want to win a championship, I'm going over there. KD wants to win a championship, he wants to go to state. You get to that point where you have that status, that's where the Chiefs are. They did so much with little on offense. They got a great defense over there. If they add a few more pieces on offense and guys want to be there, goodness gracious, man, can we see back-to-back-to-back? One, I, I, If there was ever a team and was ever a quarterback to do it, it would be these ones. Um we talked about uh, after the NFC conference, or excuse me, after the NFC championship game, uh, we said we weren't mad at Dan Campbell's boldness, and we don't think his coaching lost them the game, but rather that execution lost them the game and uh, that they were just hurting themselves constantly. Did you see anywhere here where you thought Shanahan did enough, uh, Purdy needed to do X, Y, and Z, or McCaffrey needed to do X, Y, and Z? Because for me, it felt like, both defenses were controlling the game early, so you could just as easily say that about the Chiefs. It was the trenches. When you look at Brock Purdy and the pressure that he had, it was tough. You look at Chris McCaffrey trying to get outside like he normally does, it was tough. I saw Trent Williams sitting on his, as uh, Steve Rabel says, he's sitting on his wallet. He got pushed back. It was tough. That KC defensive line did its thing. It disrupted a lot of what the 49ers wanted to do, yet the 49ers still had a chance. So, um, no, I don't think it was scheme. Um, actually, part of it was scheme because George Kittle needs targets. I don't understand yeah. that part of this whole thing. Uh, but the trenches, man. It was one loss in the trenches. And then, like I said, you cannot give Pat Mahomes the football with time on the clock and timeouts to win the Super Bowl. It's a wrap. We heard from Mike McDonald this morning on Brock and Zog talking about the hires of Ryan Grubb and Adam Durday. Don't go anywhere.